Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Uh, we're going to talk about probably my, and you aren't supposed to say this, but probably my favorite person in the Bible. Her name is Hannah, and her story is in 1 Samuel chapter 1. So before we dive into the text here, uh, I just want to pray real quick, and then we will go ahead and dive in. God, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would empower me as a communicator to communicate the truths of the Bible, and God, that uh, it, they would rest in our hearts this day. Give me grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we see this incredible woman named Hannah, and we're going to feel her pain this morning. Hannah gives us a means to process pain, because the truth is, from what I've observed, in the Western world, we don't process pain very well a lot of the times. We suppress it, transference, blame others. Sometimes we self-medicate to not think about it with alcohol or pornography or Amazon <laughs> shopping. I don't know. Uh, we can process pain in unhealthy ways, and Hannah processes her pain in a very healthy way. She does it through prayer, and then Hannah processes her pain by having real conversations. And I believe as she processes her pain in this way, she finds herself in a great place of peace. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's dive into the text. Verse 2. He had two wives. This is a man named Elkanah. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts of Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. And on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. And now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, 
Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Verse 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Side note, we see an instance of polygamy here. And you'll see this in the Bible. You'll see um, stuff like maybe polygamy or slavery, and you might think, what's up with that, right? It seems like that's not going to fly today, but why did it fly back then? Does God change his mind? Like, what's going on here? And what I found reading my Bible is that God never wanted polygamy. God never wanted slavery. But the Bible records history as it was. And so every time we read an instance of polygamy or slavery, all we read about is pain. All we read about is heartache and frustration. And so to read it is to understand that God is really saying this. You know what? This is horrible for everyone involved. End side note. Back to Hannah. Okay? So, a lot of times you'll see throughout the Bible when God is about to do something great, he likes to use a barren woman, a woman unable to have children. So there's this hopeless woman and God just kind of shows up and does something great. We see this in Genesis with Abraham and Sarah, decades and decades of praying and petitioning for a child. What happens? God shows up. We see this later in Genesis with the story of Rachel and Leah, praying, 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 praying. What happens? She's able to have children. We see in the New Testament with Elizabeth. Elizabeth was about to lose all hope, but God shows up. And then John the Baptist shows up. And so here we have Hannah, this incredible woman, and we feel her pain. And what she shows us this morning is an example of a healthy way to process pain. Let me show you a picture of my family here. This is my beautiful family. Everyone says, ah. All the campuses, one more time, ah. It's a beautiful family. Okay, uh, this is Beckett. He is 13. Um, he is uh, a very gifted athlete, loves basketball, 
football. Um, he's very mature for his age. Sometimes my wife and I will just like be having conversations with him and then forget that he's 13 because it's because he's he, it's, it's like he's like one of us. And uh, so we have to like jar ourselves back to, OK, dude, you're 13. Like, stop. Go clean your room or something. Right. You aren't you, you aren't an adult yet. Um, this is Jude. He's nine. Jude is also a basketball player, and he is uh, for sure the funniest person in our family out of all five of us. Liam is my middle child. He is 10. Liam is an incredible dancer. His mom and I are actually trying to navigate um, how do we, how do we, what do we do with you and that gift of dancing? That's what we're trying to do right now. And my wife, Courtney, she is so amazing. She's so wise. She is a student of emotional health. She tells me to call herself a student because, I don't know, I guess that's just what you say, but she's a pro. She's the goat of emotional health. She teaches boundaries in the workplace. Um, this message, honestly, without Courtney, I would have no clue what I'm talking about uh, because um, in our household, mental health, emotional health, boundaries, we are very acutely aware of each other and it's just something that we talk about all the time. And so uh, processing pain is a part of that. And so I thank her for that. That's my family. These two are Irish twins. That means they're 10 and a half months apart. I wouldn't recommend doing that. <laughs> it, it, it was like having twins. Um, we bought two of everything for a very long time. Um, but I'm going to share the story of, of, of them being Irish twins because um, it'll give you an example of, a, of, of how I processed pain in my life. When Beckett was born, we had two miscarriages after him. One of those was actually pretty painful. It was farther along in the pregnancy to where we were going in for a normal checkup and there was no fluttering of the heartbeat anymore. Um, that was really painful. And during one of those miscarriages, something happened. A, some type of a blood issue was created in Courtney, an antibody is what they would call it, a little C blood issue. And what it would do is it would want to try to destroy anything that is in her womb. And so when Liam, when she was pregnant with Liam, um, we went several months through the pregnancy and then started to notice, it, Liam's not moving. Like, we know he's in there. We see the heartbeat, but he's not moving. He should be moving, kicking, doing something, right? Well, the truth was is that he was extremely anemic because the antibody was just literally draining the life out of him. So it was like he was just exhausted 24-7. And this was a very serious situation. It was very stressful. It was very painful because he was in grave danger. So we were in Florida at the time, and we went through several procedures, including a far out, just crazy blood transfusion that I got to see, um, just to kind of pump him full of good blood so that he can develop in the womb. We also pumped him full of steroids just to get him to a place to where we could induce premature labor. And it was several weeks before he should have been out, but we were able to get him healthy enough, premature labor. Um, and then we spent several weeks in the NICU. But once he was out, he was great. 
like nothing ever happened. But what was happening, that antibody was literally killing him. Jude, so the antibody never had time to chill. And so when Jude was in Courtney's womb, the antibody was already really flared up. So he was even in more danger than Liam was. We were in Seattle during this pregnancy. Yes, we drove from Florida to Seattle, because why not, Uh, during a pregnancy. Um, Seattle Children's Hospital, they were awesome. Uh, We did similar procedures with Jude. They were very aware that this was very dangerous. So much stress and frustration and pressure and praying. And, um, but uh, halfway in the pregnancy, we came to Iowa. We came back to Iowa. So we tell Seattle, hey, we're going back to Iowa. And they said, Iowa? We're at in Iowa. Because there's a university there that wrote the books on this particular antibody. And it was the U of I. And so God knew exactly what he was doing. And we were in awesome hands here. Jude was born here um, at the U of I. Premature labor, did the whole NICU thing, okay? And everyone is so very healthy today. Now, even though we had healthy children when they were all out, our lives didn't get any easier. We now have a toddler and Irish twins. I was in a ministry job at the time that demanded much of my time, and I frequently put my wife and my kids on the altar to meet those demands. I said yes to way too many things as a young man with zero boundaries. My wife struggled big time from postpartum depression. I suppressed my pain, plowed through it without talking to anyone about it, didn't even think about it. I just was able to just forget all about it. I self-medicated with pornography just to take my mind off of it, found myself quickly addicted. You know what? God, God met me in that place through prayer and through having real conversations with my pastors, with my wife, with therapists, And he set me free from a lot of things. And I found healing. And he's still healing me, even today, from that traumatic moment where I thought I was losing two children. What I see from Hannah here is a very healthy way to process pain. My friends, I think most of us know this, that there always seems to be an answer at the bottom of the pain. It might not look like how we want it to look, but through the pain, it always seems like there is an opportunity to grow closer to Jesus and to find peace. So let's take a closer look at Hannah's pain and see how she was able to find peace. So Hannah's life begins with pain. We read it right up front. She's married and sharing a man with another woman. And this woman is fertile myrtle, okay? And nothing is happening on Hannah's end. And so they go up year after year and make sacrifices and worship. And Elkanah, the husband, distributes meat to his family. And Hannah gets a double portion because he loves her so very much. He favors her. 
It's like today, if Elkanah took his family, they were driving in a car, they'd go through the Taco John's drive-thru, and they said, okay, son, you get a taco. Uh, wife, you get a taco. Other son, taco. Daughter's a taco. Hannah, you get the six-pack and a pound. You get the cheese, you get the sour cream, you get everything. Double portion because he favors her. And it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to understand what Hannah is going through, but let's try and put ourselves in this story and be reminded of what's going on culturally back then. This is very important. The Bible said that her rival was provoking her to irritation. When I was reading the commentary on this particular verse, the scholar um, was saying that this translation of irritation is a very weak interpretation. So the English interpretation of irritation is like the tag on the back of our shirt. It's kind of irritating, right? An English interpretation of irritation would be like Starbucks misspelling your name on your cup. It's kind of irritating but you don't care that much because you need the coffee, right? So you just, whatever. Um, speaking of, I guess, misspelling names, um, irritating would be like, let's say you have the best high school basketball game of your high school career, 20 points, 12 rebounds. You were so huge in winning the game for your team and you look in the paper the next day and it says that John Messenger had 20 points and 12 rebounds, not Josh Meisner. I don't know who John Messenger is. I'm, I'm still processing that pain. So. Lord, okay. The correct interpretation of irritation is this. To roar or to thunder. So this is pain. This is anguish that Hannah is feeling because her adversary is provoking her to roar or to thunder. Let's continue to use our imagination. Year after year, family reunion, making sacrifices up on the mountain, worshiping God. And maybe Penina, the other wife with all the children, maybe her children are older now and where they can maybe converse with her now. And what are the types of conversations they're, hand, they're, they're having? Maybe the conversation goes like this. Hey, mom, what's up with Hannah? How come she can't have any children? I mean, you have a ton of children, mom. I mean, look at all of us. But what's going on with her? What is she contributing? Because culturally, having children was everything. It not only developed your identity, but it gave you a better chance of just overall prosperity. The more children you had, the better chance of being taken care of when you were of old age. The more children, the more boys you had, the better chance you had of fighting off rival armies if they were to, you know, try to take out your town or your, or, or your city. So Hannah not being able to have children, what is she contributing you don't fit in, Hannah. So here's her pain. Here's her feeling of abandonment. Here's her feeling of not feeling included. Have you guys ever felt that before? That hurts. 
This is a woman having to wrestle with her value and her worth, trying to figure out what God wants with her. And because of her barrenness means there really is no hope for the future. The culture is telling her. The Bible says that her soul was in turmoil, to roar or to thunder, and she has her rival provoking her, competing for the affection of her husband, and it's obvious Elkanah loves Hannah more, but she's hearing her rival. If you're going to matter, if you're going to matter Hannah, you must have children. No kids, no purpose. And then she has Elkanah talking to her, and her husband is a great guy. And he's speaking to her and seems like a, he's just trying to console her, right? He sees everything going on and he genuinely loves Hannah and says, and, and he says this, isn't my love worth more than 10 sons? Now, when I first read that at face value, I was like, that is a stupid man question. <laughs> but he really is trying to console her. Don't build your life upon what the culture is telling you, Hannah, but build your life upon the love that we have for one another. And of course, Hannah is going to think, yeah, I love you. You're my husband. Our love is great. But she's also thinking, but I was built to have babies. I was designed to be a mother. And so she has these two voices speaking to her, and notice she doesn't respond to any of them. And this seems pretty... It just seems pretty oppressive. And there's oppression today in America. It's very similar. Achieve your dreams. Get ahead up. Do what you can because you find your worth by being a successful individual. Get married. If you don't have a successful career, if you don't get married, if you don't have the perfect Christian family, then you don't measure up. I've felt that before. There's real oppression everywhere, and Hannah is feeling this. But notice that she doesn't respond to any of them. She is silent and honestly really well-boundaried. Hannah finds peace. And she finds a way to deal with her pain. A Hebrew scholar described in verse 9, when it said, uh, it said when Hannah stood up, he thought that that would be a Hebrew idiom. I had to look up what idiom meant but a Hebrew idiom, to stand up. So an English idiom would be, like, if we were to say, go break a leg, right? We don't really mean, I hope your femur busts. We, we are saying, hey, good luck. Or an English idiom would be something like, um, I'm calling it a day. That means whatever I'm doing right now, I am stopping. I'm done. A Hebrew, the Hebrew idiom, to stand up, it means to take action. She's not going to continue to feel sorry for herself and keep her on the same path she's on. And she goes to the one person that matters more than anyone else. She goes to the tabernacle to seek God and hear his voice. Hannah goes to talk with God. You know, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. You know, the Holy Spirit is not only called the comforter, but also the wonderful counselor. Hannah processes her pain, and we see this really raw prayer from her. She says, I was pouring out my soul. And it was so raw that Eli thinks she's had a few beers. 
because it wasn't the religious prayer that he's heard a million times. I mean, this is far out what I'm hearing. In fact, her lips are moving and nothing's even coming out. Like this is far out. But she couldn't formulate any words because of her pain. She says, I was pouring out my soul. Your soul is your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts. You know that we get to be real with the God of the universe? You know that he already knows what's in your soul? He just wants you to pour it out onto him and see how he shows up. And that's what she does. Hannah says, God, remember me, look upon me. Remember your servant. And it actually looks like Hannah's bargaining here with God, but if she was bargaining with God, what happened in her life later would not have taken place. It says that when Eli confronts her about being drunk, she says, no, I'm not drunk, I'm in anguish. And then I love this, he says, May God answer your request. So for me, it was obvious that she was in a great deal of pain because he saw it right away. He says, I see the pain in your eyes. I've never heard or seen anything like this, but Hannah, I can see your pain. Go and be blessed. And it says in verse 18 that she got up, she ate something, which is always good, and her face was no longer downcast. And I love this progression. I did not make this up. This is, this, is, this is a progression that we see with Hannah. Hannah prays. Hannah finds peace. And then what happens at the end of the story? She gets pregnant. If she was bargaining with God... This is what we would have seen. Prayer, pregnancy, peace. But instead, she was praying. She was pouring out her soul and then finds peace. And then God shows up. Prayer, peace, pregnancy, And friends, the reward, Hannah's reward was not the birth of a son. This is important. Listen to me. Hannah's reward was not the birth of a son. Hannah's reward was God's presence being with her through the pain. That's how she was able to find peace. And then God was able to meet her. How else could she do that? How else could she find peace if the gift wasn't greater than the birth itself? It was God's presence. So imagine Hannah now is feeling peace for the first time. What does that look like? All those family reunions up on the mountain, making the sacrifices and eating and worshiping, all those things that she thought she found meaning, it didn't matter anymore. What mattered to Hannah was giving her life to God and being available for him. And she leaves this place, she finds peace, and then Samuel happens. 
Samuel is given to her. And Hannah keeps her into the bargain and gives him right back to God. And Samuel, he works in the temple. He anoints the first king of Israel. We, a lot of us know the story. Samuel is a huge player in the big God redemption plan. Samuel was huge. And I want to read this prayer that Hannah says in chapter 2. 1 Samuel 1, chapter 2. I love this prayer. Verse 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. And the last verse is this. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to, the, to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. We see such a depth of faith in Hannah. Hannah knew the God that she was pouring out her soul onto. Hannah knew that when she said, I can't, God says, I can. That when, that God is close to the brokenhearted. Psalm 34, 18 says, if your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. Hannah was kicked in the gut and God was close to her. What would it look like if we all submitted our plans of our life back to God? Where we're able to be like Hannah and say, I'll give this child back to you. I'll give this job back to you. I'll give this marriage back to you. This relationship. Because God, I want to honor you and you're the only person I'm living for. I believe that when we think like this, when we pray like Hannah, and when we have real conversations like Hannah, we're able to arise like Hannah, we're able to eat again, and we're able to find a peace from God that no one else can give. I have a few next steps for you. If there's something that is weighing heavy on you, pray the way Hannah prays. Talk to God with a clear understanding of who God is. And then talk to him with honesty. 
maybe you didn't even know that you can actually pour out your soul with God. So practice that. The next one, all throughout scripture, we see the power of community. If you need further help to process your pain, will you contact us? We have several resources here at Life Church. You can not only speak to a pastor, we have, re- we have professional therapists, we have events and classes, curriculum, ultimate journey. We have so many things that you can dive into to help process your pain. Will you please contact us? And then lastly, maybe you need prayer this morning because of your pain. We have teams ready for you on the sides of the room. Will you stand with me? Can I pray for you guys real quick? Jesus, we thank you for your word, your holy scriptures. Uh, Thank you that, um, that you are with us, that your presence is a gift. And we ask for more of your presence, especially in times of pain and suffering and heartache. God, will you help us to take action today? To stand up? To not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers? We love you, God. We give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. Amen.